Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 11 this morning, so if you will, grab a Bible and head on over to Luke chapter 11 this morning. So today and and next week, we work through Scripture, our usual way of working is uh, to work through a a passage of Scripture and chapter after chapter in a a book of the Bible. And so God's Word is leading us this week and next week, actually, to be uh, focused in on prayer, uh, speaking with God as His people and uh, prayer is a vitally important aspect of our Christian life. Uh, I'll give you a, a few things here. Uh, Charles Spurgeon on one occasion had this to say. He said, actually more than one occasion, had this to say. You are no Christian if you do not pray. A prayerless soul is a Christless soul. Super encouraging, right? Um, not to worry. Here's a little more encouragement from J.C. Ryle. He has this to say. Not praying is clear proof That a person is not yet a true Christian. They they cannot really feel their sins. They cannot love God. They cannot feel themselves a debtor to Christ. They cannot long after holiness. They cannot desire heaven. They have yet to be born again. They have yet to be made a new creature. They may boast confidently of election, grace, faith, hope, and knowledge and deceive ignorant people. But you may rest assured it is all vain talk if you do not pray. And you're going to see that even Jesus assumes that we're going to be praying as his people. When we get into our text today, you're going to see that Jesus doesn't say if you pray, but rather when you pray, as he's talking to his disciples. Now, uh, let me give you one more quote, this one a little more encouraging. These are the words of J.I. Packer. He says, prayer is the spiritual measure of men and women in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as, as we can ever face. Um, so then I have two simple questions from the start here for us. And the first one is, is this, Christian, do you pray? Truly, do you, do you pray? Not, not just here in the service when it's laid out in the liturgy for you, not just quickly before a meal uh, of gratitude, but, but do you talk to God? Is that part of your life? And the second question is, How do you pray? And I I mean that both in regards to the content of our prayers, which we're going to get in today as we unpack this passage, but also in regards to just the confidence you have when you pray, that God indeed hears you and cares and such. And we'll get into that a bit more next week, but we'll touch on it this week. And so uh, with that laid out, let's, let's begin today just by reading our passage. It's Luke chapter 11. Uh, And we're going to be reading just the first four verses, beginning in verse, well, one, right? Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's stop right there. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, would you bring light into our hearts to receive your word today? And would you give life to our minds to understand your word? And would you... Stir deep within us a longing to come to you with prayer more than we currently do in most cases. 
Lord, give me grace to preach this text, this passage this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So have you noticed as we've been working our way through Luke, and I realize this is stretched over a long period of time, but just how common, how often it is that we see Jesus getting somewhere and praying to the Father. Uh, You know, you go all the way back to just before his baptism in chapter 3, we see Jesus praying. He goes out into a desolate place in chapter 5 to pray. In chapter 6, before choosing the 12 apostles, Jesus goes and spends time in prayer with his Father. And then after defeating the 5,000 in chapter 9, he's praying. Again in chapter 9 at the transfiguration, just before it, Jesus goes out to pray. Uh, In the previous chapter, chapter 10, when the 72 disciples returned, Jesus is praying. And again, we see it in our passage here, right? Don't skip over the fact that at the very beginning, the first thing we see, the first thing we read here is Jesus was praying in a certain place. So that's not the most descriptive of locations there. Um, but you get the point here, right? That, that the disciples see him praying and they're watching him pray. They're watching him in this intimate relationship with the Father. And something seems to have struck one of the disciples as he looks on in this moment. You see, may, maybe the disciple sees how intimate Jesus' prayer life is. And, and he has that experience that maybe you've experienced at some point in your life where, where you just come across an, uh, a brother or sister in Christ who just has this amazing, intimate, robust prayer life, and and you have that kind of thought, oh, my life isn't like that. But you long for it. And and so the disciple makes this request, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He's talking about John the Baptist there, right? Uh, And he knows that John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, and now he's asking Jesus, how should we pray? What's the best way? And so Jesus gives them a model prayer that that really probably should be called the disciples prayer since that's who it's being given to here. But but what do we actually commonly call it? That's right. And the the first thing you probably notice about the prayer that we just read in this passage is 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 it doesn't match the prayer that we prayed earlier in the service, does it? They're a little different. You know, Jesus prays something wrong here might be your assumption. You'd be wrong. Uh, Right. Or what, why do we do it wrong? Something's wrong here, right? So, so here's what's going on. You remember, let me, let me explain this to you. Who was here last week? This is where you can all feel guilty if you don't raise your hand. No. Um, raise your hand if the sermon last week sounded familiar to you. Okay, none of you. All right, here, here's why I ask you this. In, in November of 2016, I preached the exact same passage. And the sermon is incredibly similar to what it was Three, three years ago. So that's encouragement that none of you even found it familiar. No. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's the same passage, a very similar sermon, but things were worded different. They, they were two different sermons on two different occasions. And, and, and so I just want us to remember that, that Jesus didn't have a podcast. He didn't say something once, and then it was just mass media sent out to the world in, in, in that way. Or, or he wasn't reading something word for word as, as he'd preach. And, and so as he'd go from place to place, he'd preach on these same ideas and, 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 and teach them. And, and, and so they're very similar, and yet they're worded different in these different settings. And our, our, our text today, Jesus is answering the question of a disciple that asked him. That's the, the context of the situation, and he answers him. Um, 
The, the other case, though, is, is Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6. And, and in that sermon, Jesus actually expounds how it is we should pray. That's the one that you'll find in our bulletin within our liturgy that we use. Uh, because it's a more fleshed out version of the same prayer. So you might have also noticed, though, if you've ever bothered to look at these two places where we see the Lord's Prayer, uh, neither Luke's version nor Matthew's version ends with that doxology, right? Those, those words, for, for thine is the kingdom and, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But we don't see that in Scripture. And that used to bother me on some level. Let me, let me explain that, though. Th- those words have accompanied this prayer Uh, In one form or another, there's been a variety of ways they've incorporated, but since the first century. And and they're actually based on King David's prayer in 1 Chronicles 29.11, which I'll read to you. He says, uh, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And so that's where it's coming from. And at some point in church history, it was tied into the Lord's Prayer as a, a doxology there at the end. And if that concerns you at all, though, right, why are you adding to the Lord's Prayer, right? That it's added there. Let me just remind you that, that Jesus is giving us this prayer, not, not as mere words to just be rotely repeated, right, without ever thinking about as if they're magic words. But he's giving us this prayer as a model to teach us how indeed we should pray. And so now you're probably thinking, so why do we have it in our service where we really say it word for word, right? Anyone actually thinking that, or is that just my assumption? Okay. Um, the, the reason that we pray it every single week together is that indeed it is a model prayer. We, you know, we, we include it here be, because we want it to become so familiar to us, right? Little children at this point in our congregation can repeat these words. They know these words by heart. And so they have this model now for, for how we can actually go about uh, whenever we are called to pray upon publicly or privately to, to be able to model our prayers after that. Now, I realize that means that we have to understand what exactly are we seeing in this model? How do we follow this model uh, and, and how do we understand the structure that Jesus has here? And, and that's what we're going to be doing this morning is, is kind of unpacking the Lord's Prayer to see the structure of it here a bit. And so um, just just so you know, we're going to be unpacking the passage in Luke, not the more robust one in our uh, liturgy, but but they have the exact same structure. You can look at one or the other the exact same structure. Uh, and, and so in your bulletins, you can see the structure there, right? Uh, <clears throat> it's one of my pet peeves, alliteration. I am absolutely committing the alliteration thing here, right? I don't know why, but I find it confusing when people are like, all P's, so you can remember. You won't remember, right? And yet here I am doing it. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, <clears throat> so it's five points in this sermon. Uh, very Calvinist outline, I suppose. Anyway... <laughs> Prayer begins then, as we're seeing here, with with praise. And if we're going to be praising God, we need to first identify God, right? Whom are we addressing this prayer to? And so this model prayer begins by addressing God the Father. You see that if you're in Christ, we we have a relationship with God, right? Actually, everyone has a relationship with God. But, you know, just as a human, you have a relationship with God as creatures to their creator, But specifically in Christ, we have a relationship with God as a child to his or her father. 
Romans 8, 14 through 17, um, you know, Paul's right in there and he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, and this is the word of God. And he informs us uh, of this saying, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Children of God. Now, now remember, God is holy and, and we were not. I hope that's not shocking news to you, right? Um, the, the good news that we, we talk about so much, the gospel, right, is that, that, that Jesus is also God, right? And, and also holy. And, and he lives his whole life or uh, the whole of his life absolutely holy. And, and when Jesus gave his life on the cross, it was a, a sacrifice for your sins, not, not, not his sins, your sins. And so when we trust in Jesus, our debt of sin is paid for on the cross completely, but, but, but also Jesus' righteousness becomes our righteousness, right? That's the, the, the great switch, the great exchange. And so something else happens here, though, that we, we sometimes talk about, but just make sure you understand it. We are also adopted as God's children so that he is our father, truly, legally so. You're no longer just a creature. You're a child of God. And so along with, with Jesus, we can call God our Father, and we should. And listen, for, for those of you who had fathers, who were harsh fathers, uh, or abusive fathers, or uncaring fathers, or just indifferent fathers that were so not what you wished a father would be, you need to know that when we, when we talk about God as a father, God is not a father like that. God is a, a good and loving father. Everything that a child dreams a child could be, or a father could be, and more. And, and so we begin with that intimate address, Father, and, and then we begin to praise God, right? Jesus puts it this way. He says, hallowed be your name. We don't use that word very often, hallowed, but hallowed is about, um, you know, greatly respected or honored or revered or, or praised. It's a way of, of taking God's name and, and, and honoring it that way. See, a, a name represents a person. After all, that's, that's why we're bothered, right? When we use that phrase, someone, you know, don't drag my name through the mud. Because the name means something. Uh, and so the truth is, we, we, we cannot make God more glorious than he already is. Our words do not change the reality of that. But in this prayer, we express that our heartfelt desire is that God's reputation that his reputation would be rightly acknowledged and by more and more people and exclaimed in the way that God is worthy of. And as God's children, we long for him to be praised by people everywhere. Right? And not the way we see in practice sometimes, when people just falsely redefine God in some way that finally, you know, that's an acceptable God, I'll worship that God. Not like that. We long for God to be honored because people's eyes are open to believe the gospel and see how fearsome and, and wonderful and, and merciful God truly is. Our desire is the same as the singers we, we see in Isaiah 26, 8, who, who shout out, O Lord, we wait for you, for your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. And so this is a, a prayer that, that we and all others would indeed worship God, not, not grimly, uh, funeral-like, but as Hebrews 12 puts it, that we would worship with reverence and awe because 
God is worthy of reverence and awe. Jesus himself actually prays this way in John 12, uh, 28, when he, when he says, Father, glorify your name. Right from the beginning of that prayer. And one way that we can better learn to do this, if you're thinking, how, how do I do this, right? Read the Psalms. The Psalms do such a beautiful job of, of, of bringing our attention to, to hallowing the name of God. Uh, give you a couple examples here. Psalm 29.2, David prays, um, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Or Psalm 115.1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And we see that example of just praise to God right from the start. All right. So the first thing is, is praise. The, the second aspect we see here in the Lord's Prayer is in regards to priorities. He, he says, your kingdom come, right? Your is God here. We, we often, we, we tend to just give the affairs of this world. We tend to give our own little kingdom priority in our prayers and priority in our, our life and our decisions. So many other things. But this line in Jesus' prayer recenters our priorities but by calling us to prioritize God's priorities first. Right? You say in other places, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, you might put it. There, there, there's two aspects then of the, the coming kingdom of God uh, to keep in mind. It's often referred to as this idea of the, the not yet and already, or the already and not yet. Uh, first, Jesus already sits upon the throne. Right? Jesus is king. We're not waiting for this to happen still. It is a reality now. And, and so we are to, to, to pray for God's rule and reign as king to spread into the hearts of people everywhere. And, and in other words, if you, if you really want to look at this from the wide angle, this is a, a prayer for the Great Commission to be successful. Right? That's the wide angle. If we want to narrow that angle a little bit, what does this mean for how we pray? It means that you're praying for, for your friend or your mother or your neighbor to, to trust in Jesus and thus enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, second, we're praying for the actual return of Jesus to usher in his kingdom fully. You know, the second to the last verse in the entire Bible, Revelation 22, verse 20, is this quote from Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is saying, surely I am coming soon. Surely I'm coming soon. And I, I love that the, the author of Revelation comments immediately after that. Uh, listen, as he says, come, Lord Jesus, because that's our desire. Our, our longing is that, right? If, if you've lived in this world for very long, you, you, you probably at some point, at this point, along the way, just, just had enough, right? Enough with hatred and racism. Enough with children being abused with disease and poverty and greed and eroding morals and prideful politicians on both sides with injustices and travesties of all sorts. You can look at the world and just be like, I, I've had enough. When we look at the world, we, you not just want to shout out, you know, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This, this longing just set everything right. You know, let's return to the, the perfection of the garden we've never experienced. It's a longing for the return of Jesus. And so we begin our prayers by praising God and then prioritizing his kingdom, his ways. The third aspect is about provision. 
that God would provide for our physical needs. Uh, our American culture, we love this idea of independence, right? It's throughout everything. We are so independent, but we're not that independent. I know it's not a moment in your history you want to think about much. For, from the moment you were conceived, you were dependent upon your mother for survival. Attached by an umbilical cord, that's where all your strength, nutrients for growth came from. As a, a child at all ages, right, all stages of your life, you, you found yourself dependent upon your parents to provide food, to provide a home, to provide um, wisdom and loving care of all sorts. Whatever it is you need, that's where it typically comes from. As a child of God, you must know that you're also dependent upon God fully, still, today, always, and everything, Right? And, and, and prayer for our, our needs, then, is this constant acknowledgement that, that God is where our provisions come from. Jesus teaches us this with this simple image here, right? Give us each day our, our daily bread, right? Provide what we need for today, for now. The, the bread here would, would certainly have reminded the disciples of Jesus, of the Israelites, what they ate while they were wandering out in the wilderness. If if you're not familiar with that story, uh, manna, right, is, is what was given by God. It's a, a type of bread, right? And if you do know the story very well, who, who provided the bread? Who was it? God. And when did he provide that bread? Every morning. Every morning. Daily. And so the idea of... Uh, of God providing food for us is, is really kind of tough for us to grasp if we're honest, right? You want to just jump to that because to, to, to the, what does this really mean for us? Because really we can get 50 varieties of bread right now just by walking over to Hy-Vee. At least 50 varieties. Someone challenge me. Go figure it out, right? Uh, but I bet that's what it is. You can get fresh baked bread at Regina's Bakehouse right down the street. We have freezers. You can freeze enough bread that you, can, you have bread for the rest of the you know, year. Uh, we, we have that kind of thing. We, we have so much food in this culture that, that our real problem is with obesity, right? As, as an American culture. But to, to get food each day in first century Israel, that, that was a bit of an effort. It wasn't always so easy to know if you were going to get that. And, and so they would pray. We, we understand praying at meals, but we pray thanking God for the food he gave us. They would actually pray for the food they needed, that God would provide for them. Um, and, and we should too, right? You're probably never going to pray for bread to show up because it's such a sure thing. But, but you have to think beyond the bread. We have so many needs that come in on a daily basis and, and it needs to be a part of our prayer life. Because we do want to learn our dependence upon God, really. Now, there's always some contrarian, right? Um, I just know from when I used to teach youth, someone would always speak up with it. And I don't know if anyone would ever voiced this, but I, I kind of will go through my head thinking, what would be the objection here? And, and someone's going to say something along the lines of, well, I work my tail off five days a week, right? Just so I can get paid and go on down to Medina's, I'll buy my own Shabbatah from my own work and my own money. Really, I provide for me, not God providing for me. And so I want to encourage you to kind of push this back a little bit, right? To, to, to understand, yes, your, your work has value. It's, it's good. But who made you smart, able to do that? Who, who gave you natural skills to be able to do that? Who, who even made a world, right, where your job makes any sense at all? That it's even necessary to do so you can get paid for doing it. 
Listen, entitlement will always harden our hearts towards God. It's good that we know that we're dependent. The only real question then here, questions are this. uh, Are you aware of God's provision for your needs? Not just when something gets out of hand medically, financially, but always that God is the one providing. And do you find yourself grateful for it? The last thing in this particular section I, I want to point out here is that this is a corporate prayer that Jesus has them praying, right? As a model. Um, do, do you pray for the needs of your brothers and your sisters in this community, this covenant community? Jobs that are needed, cars that might be needed, money for bills, good health, whatever people might need. Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in this way? Let's, let's be doing that. And so far we've seen... Praising God, the priority of God's kingdom and asking for provision from God. The fourth part of this prayer is our need for pardon. Uh, If I'm honest, I don't even love the word pardon. I'd really prefer to use the word Jesus uses there, forgiveness, right? But uh, since I was committed to alliteration this week, uh, that didn't start with P. I did provide in your outline there, P spelled with a PH, in case you prefer that. Um. You probably just want to skip over that. So the prayer that he gives, though, says, forgive us our sins. That's the first part of it here. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And that's important because we know that really the focus here is not forgiveness in the ultimate sense, right? In the sense of when your faith is in Jesus, that your sins are forgiven forever. That's not really what he's getting at here. Uh, This is more about the relationship that we have with God and and the reality that our our life is is still just this this struggle against sin. You you know it. You wake up every day. You're still going to struggle. And and the reality that that sin in our life actually affects our relationship with God. Not God's love for you. That's not affected. Not, Not his patience with you, his care for you, things of that nature. But our, our ongoing sin does affect how close and intimate we, we might experience that relationship with God. And, and that's why we want to be regularly seeking God, forgiving our sins, you know, to, to confess our sins and ask him to actually forgive our sins. And, and so we pray to God, right, asking things like, you know, please forgive my, my bitterness at a friend whose life is going the way that my life should go, you know, asking for that kind of thing. Or God, uh, forgive me for the satisfaction I, I keep pursuing uh, uh, through lust online or for being so ungracious with my words about people I know, right, uh, talking about them to others or whatever it might be. We, we want to be confessing these sins regularly. And, and so we, we do, right, confess these nameable sins and, and ask God to forgive us. And, and we can find rest in that because we know that he will. We know full well that because of our union with Christ, our sins are really and truly forgiven. And when we confess and repent our our sins to God, the the closeness of our relationship is is restored. Confession really should be an encouragement to you also. I know we don't like doing it, right? Because you have to admit just the the sense of failure that that you probably didn't want to to be a part of your life. But, 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 you know... Conviction of our, our nameable sins is, a, is really a mark of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So be encouraged by that. Uh, forgiving others is also a mark of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
That's the point of the second half of the statement. For, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You see, if we refuse to forgive those who have sinned against us, we reveal a, a heart that greatly underestimates the, the weight of, of just how much God has forgiven us. Or as Jerry Bridges puts it here, we refuse to forgive because we will not recognize that God has forgiven us far, far, far greater wrongs. So let me have you ask yourself this question. Who's in debt to you? Right? Not financially, maybe financially, probably not financially. But, but, but maybe ask it this way. Who has done me wrong? And we tend to think in massive, right? It might be that you need to make it more media too. Who has done me wrong today, right? In some smaller way even. And I ask you that because that's, that's who we need to forgive. That's, that's who we're being called to forgive here. And I, I know the name that is in your head right now is also probably the hardest person on the planet for you to forgive. And that's why you'll need to be praying to God for help to, you know, to help you see just how much you've been forgiven on one side and, and to give you the strength that you need to actually be able to forgive someone who has done your wrong. And again, we, we see this and this is wide reaching, right? It includes the absolute worst people in, in your opinion, probably right. Abusers and jihadists and those who have broken your trust and have done horrible things to you or someone you care about. And, and I will say this. I'm just touching on it right here. Okay. This is not a whole fleshed out idea. If you're struggling with this one. Talk to me later. Because I won't pretend this is an easy thing to do. But it is an important thing to do. That we see God calling us to. Uh, so I would love to talk more about that with you later. Uh, the last part of the prayer says this. And lead us not into temptation and you've got to understand, this is not saying that, you know, God is going to lead his children into temptation, trying, you know, let's watch them fail at this miserably uh, kind of thing. In fact, James 1.13 warns us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see that there's a big difference between uh, trial and temptation, Okay. Temptation has, has its goal, its intended result or end result is that someone sins. A trial, on the other hand, is intended to show us that in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we can faithfully obey the Lord. A trial is to show you that you, you actually know this stuff, right? On a, if you take a test, the idea is not to make students cry. I know you don't believe that sometimes from your professors, but the, the idea is to show you indeed how much you do know to encourage you in that way. And so the idea here is not that we never face a temptation, but that the Holy Spirit would, would empower you to say no to some specific sins. And, and that means that when you find yourself in a pattern of sin and you're frustrated by it, whatever it might be, right? Whatever it might be, um, you, you need to stop and just ask yourself, have I prayed about this? You know, a better question is probably, am I praying about this? It's an ongoing thing. Am I praying about this? Am I asking for God's protection in, in this area? The, the Puritan, John Owen, if anyone ever read John Owen, 
He's a hard-to-read guy, but he's pretty straightforward here, so this one's easy. Uh, John Owen wrote this. He said, if we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. And then he goes on to give an example of what this prayer might look like, and he says this. He says, God, preserving my soul, and uh, preserve my soul and keep my heart in all its ways so that I will not be entangled in sin. Protect me, in other words. And so we've taught here, right? So far, we're working through this. We've seen how to pray here. It's a model prayer for us to pray, but also one to shape the way we pray. To make this priority, right? Praise God to make a priority on his kingdom, to ask for God's provision, to seek pardon, to request God's protection. See how the peas get all caught up? Uh, but, but I want to end with just this, this image because I want to come back to help us remember why we pray. Because I, I would be willing to bet most of us hear a sermon on prayer and, and you immediately think, I don't pray enough. I wish I prayed more. I, I don't know why I don't. And I do want to encourage you to that. It's, and, and first of all, it's not because we have to pray. Right? You're, I'm a Christian, so I have to pray. Any more than you'd say, like, I'm, I'm his son, I have to talk to him as a child. Um, it's because we get to pray. We get to talk to God. And so imagine for a second, just for a second, that, that you're a little girl or a little boy, and you've been going throughout your day, and, and some amazing things happen, some conversations, something really just cool happened in your life, and some bad things happen, and... and you have questions about what to do maybe on this. And, and, and maybe you, you just want to squeal with excitement on some level. And you, or you just want to cry in and, and frustration. And, and, and then you see your dad. Your wonderful father who is big and strong and he wants to hear from you. He wants to help you. Whatever problems he has, he loves you. And you are absolutely sure of that. In that moment... Don't you want to just run into his arms and tell him the best and the worst things that have happened today? That, that's what prayer is for us. Truly. I mean, because listen, you, if your faith is in Jesus, you really are a child of God. God really is your father. You, you can run into his arms and tell him the best and the worst things. And, and here's the thing, to know that he really cares. To know that he really cares. Now, we're done for today. We're going to get into prayer again next week. I, I, I hope today from this, what, what you get is a little bit of a structure. Because most of you have the Lord's Prayer memorized at this point in your life. To use it as a, a structure to know how to come to God and pray. Because too often we get stuck and just hear my request. Amen. Um, maybe a thank you for something in there. But to, to really put this into use in your life, to, to pray prayers like this. Well, let's pray. Father, you are glorious. You are truly holy. And though we're not amazed enough, Lord, we are amazed at all that you are. Please increase that. Lord, may the gospel continue to work in the hearts of people and, and people we know and love and would you come soon to fully bring your kingdom into realization, Lord? We long to see everything put right. And Lord, would you provide for us in the ways that we need, financially, medically, with food, with friendships? And would you grant us repentance of the sin that we commit all too often? 
Lord, make us so aware of the debt that we are forgiven in Christ that we would be quick to forgive others of evil that has been done to us. And Holy Spirit, we, we live in a fallen world with opportunities to sin always before us. Would you make us strong to be faithful to your word? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.